Our scripture this evening is from the gospel according to John, verse 19, or chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. And it reads, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of the sour wine on, his, on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross for the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he'd already, he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. In all of history, there have been many good days and there's been much good work done. This week, you did much good work. I'm sure. I'm sure your bosses, or if you're own, your own boss, you would agree, you did much good work. Kids, maybe your parents have even said, oh, I've got a good job for you, right? I can just hear you've got your little three-year-old, five-year-old, ten-year-old. For me, even when I was 18-year-old, my dad would say, I've got a good job for you. I didn't always know what that meant. I didn't know whether he meant, oh, no, I should be, like, dreading this, or whether he's like, this is a really good job that will take you a long time, but it will be good when you're done. Usually when we say it to kids, it's like, I've got a good job for you. It will take you out of this room and put you in another, right? <laughs> but usually when we think of, hey, I've got, a, I've got a good job for you. We're saying that you're the right person for this good work. And you see, on Good Friday, there was only one who was good for this good work. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone could accomplish the good work that needed to be done on that horrifically wonderful Friday. It was a good work. And in this passage, we see that good work come to a conclusion. And we see just a few things here that I think are really helpful for us to think about the good work of Jesus on that day. First of all, Jesus' good work was planned. You see, it says in our first verse, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, even down to what he said had been prophesied. And if it was prophesied, then it was planned. It was the will of God that this would be done on our behalf. This is a striking thought. When we consider the cost, when we think of the suffering, when we think of the grief of our Savior on the cross, that it was planned that he would do this. 
if we knew that a job was going to require of us great sorrow and grief and difficulty, we'd probably be looking for a new job. But you see, this job was one that was truly good, and the truly good one knew that it must be done. His suffering, down even to his thirst, was part of God's plan for salvation. The one who offered living water, whose, re- whose recipients would never thirst again, this one felt thirst of the most desperate kind, and he cried out, I thirst. He was the living water, yet he thirsted. The sour wine which they offered him was not to really alleviate his suffering. That was a wine that had been offered, and we read of this in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, a wine mixed with myrrh. That was a wine that was to deaden the pain and alleviate the suffering. But he refused that. He refused it because he bore our sorrows. He bore our grief. He took on our suffering. And all the weight of our sin he tasted to the last drop. This wine, this was a mockery of the soldiers. It was given to prolong life. It was given just to prolong the misery just more. And Jesus knew that the time was up. He knew there was the suffering had been met to the full. And he took the wine and he said, it is finished. Only when the full measure of bearing our sin debt was finished, did Jesus accept that sour wine. And then he died. The darkest moment in eternity. The moment that the angels must have been silenced in heaven. That moment as they stood in awe and wonder, how could this be? And how could it be that he went willingly? And that is what we see. We see in verse 30 that Jesus' good work was willing to the end, for he was the one who gave up his life. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, only God can give up his spirit. You don't get to pick the time. God has appointed the time unto man when he's going to die. But God can do that. And Jesus did it willingly. Consider that. For our sins. For our sins, he willingly suffered and died. Though the price of our sins was enormous, Jesus paid that price willingly in full, every drop of blood shed, every tinge of pain, and all the mental, spiritual, and physical suffering was born for us, willingly and fully. Man, no wonder we think of this as a good Friday, because only the perfectly good one would have done that. If there was any tinge of corruption in the Son of God, he would have said, no, no. My finish line would have been way, 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 way before this ever came to be. And yet for him, he brought it down to the very end. And because of that, Jesus' good work was forever completed. 
It was paid in full for us. Another reason it's so good. Nothing more to add. Nothing that could be undone. Nobody had to come along and look over his work. It was finished. And it was finished to perfection. Jesus' work was about more than just dying. When he said it is finished, it was an expression of the fulfillment of prophecy. All that had been planned now has been finished in the redemption story. The work he came to do was finished. Mark 10.45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life as a ransom. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This part had to be done that you and I, the lost, might be sought and saved. You see... Jesus' good work was truly the work of redemption. And there's two parts of that that I think are important to see that were taken care of both in his life and in his death. The penalties of the law were endured on the cross. Yes. But through his life, the demands of the law had been perfectly obeyed. He kept the law perfectly on our behalf and he paid the price of our sin on our behalf. All of that which by faith we can have access to as we trust in Him by faith, His finished work of His death and His perfect work of His life lived in righteousness applied to us so that our sin is paid for and His righteousness now becomes credited to our account and we are seen as perfectly righteous in the eyes of God. The work is finished. You see, our repentance and our work doesn't add anything to Christ's sacrifice. It does nothing. It merely is a response to the work that he has done. It is merely a trusting in the work that he has done. Nothing more to be done but to place one's faith in Jesus Christ, in his righteousness, and in his death. You see, the apostles had it right. When they said to the the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the call. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you said, yes, but I need some evidence. I need some proof. Well, John wrote this down so that you would have that. And he was impeccably clear in this passage as to why he wrote it down and that he knew what he was talking about. I don't know if you caught that. But Jesus' good work was clearly confirmed. He says, in beginning in verse 34, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it, who's he? John, the writer, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. He was right there. He saw it with his own eyes. And he, and he is born witness that you may also believe. He believed. He believed it because he saw it. You are called to believe because he has testified as well as others. For these things took place to fulf- that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. He not only says, believe me. He says, believe me because scripture came true. Because you can believe scripture. This was prophesied and it came to pass. I saw it. You can believe me and you can believe what the Old Testament predicted. 
you can stand firm on it. Your faith rests secure on Jesus' work and on the confirmation and testimony of our brother John, who is present. Your faith rests in the sovereign fulfillment of the prophecies of God. That is a certain faith. That is a confident faith because it has been clearly confirmed. And oh, it was a good work because it wasn't just a work done in secret. It was a work done that was clearly confirmed and reported that we might know and believe. And that's exactly what John later said in John twenty thirty one. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He had death that you and I might have life. That is a work that is good, not because it was good for Christ on that day, but because nothing better has ever been done in all of humanity for humanity. The hidden hand of God in these moments restrained that soldier from breaking the bone of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And John affirmed it. Why would John, John's readers believe? Why would we believe? Not because an account is merely written, but because the account so clearly fulfilled the prophecy written by David a thousand years pre, about a thousand years previous and foreshadowed by the commands of the, for the Passover when Israel departed Egypt over 1500 years before when they were told, don't break a bone. Don't break a bone. And that's what we see on the cross. The Lamb of God took all of our sin, but not a bone was broken. The fruit of Christ's death and resurrection may be credited to you this day if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you today are in this moment like I have struggled this week. This tension of this horribly wonderful day. Of a day in which we, in the moments in the song, will, the songs we've sung, have almost wanted to weep. And times when we want to bust out with joy. That's what we see in the cross. May faith and worship be stirred in your heart and in your mind as you consider on this day, on this weekend, Christ's good work. I want to pray with you, led by a prayer from a Puritan out of a collection of prayers called the Valley of Vision. And there's, uh, So I'd ask that you bow your heads as we pray together. Our Father, enlarge our hearts. Warm our affections and open our lips. Supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary, for it truly does shine. There, grace removes our burdens and heaps upon them, heaps them upon your Son, who has made a transgressor, a curse, and a sin for us. There, the sword of your injust, of your justice smote the man, your fellow. There your infinite attribute, attributes were magnified and infinite atonement 
was made. Their infinite punishment was due and infinite punishment was endured. Christ, our Lord, was all anguish that we might be all joy. He was cast off that we might be brought in. He was trodden down as an enemy that we might be welcomed as friends. He was surrendered to hell's worst that we might attain heaven's best. Our Lord was stripped that we might be clothed. He was wounded that we might be healed. He was thirsty that we might drink and tormented that we might be comforted. He was made a shame that we might inherit eternal glory. He entered darkness that we might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from our eyes. He groaned that we might have endless song. He endured all pain that we might have unfailing health. He bore a thorny crown that we might have a diadem of glory. He bowed his head that we might lift ours up. He experienced hatred that we might receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death that we might gaze upon unclouded brightness. He died that we might forever live. O Father, who spared not his only Son, that you might spare us, all this transfer your love designed and accomplished at Calvary's cross. Help us to adore you by our lips and by our life. Oh, that every breath might be ecstatic praise. That our every step be buoyant with delight as we see our enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, and destroyed. Sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood. Hell's gates closed, heaven's portal opened. Go forth, O conquering God, and show us the cross mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.